I just had to grab Braden and tell him how awesome that was. He's a great addition to our team, isn't he? And in case you didn't know, he's married to the marvelous Lainey, who is our assistant director of student ministry. So, man, we got a, we got a twofer. I want to show you some pictures to see if you recognize them. Donald Trump. Aaron Rodgers. J.K. Rawling, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the entire cast of Hamilton. So what do these celebrities all have in common, do you know? They were all canceled last year, some of them more than once. The term cancel culture has gained notoriety since about 2019. Uh, cancel culture declares that no offensive speech or offensive behavior will be tolerated. And if, in the view of cancel culture, you have offended, then you will be canceled. You will lose your Twitter account. You will lose your TV show. You will lose your reputation. And if they get their way, you'll lose your livelihood. And it doesn't matter if you actually said or did the things that are attributed to you. If cancel culture gets you in its sights... You are toast. But it turns out cancel culture actually didn't start in 2019. Way back in the first century, around 55 AD, cancel culture was already at work against the fledgling Christian church. There were all kinds of rumors that were flying, rumors that were intended to be malicious, rumors that were intended to destroy their reputation. For instance, one of the early rumors about Christians was that they were cannibals, why were they cannibals? Because they had a celebratory sacri- a meal that they shared in which they ate the body and blood of a human being. Communion, of course. They were also known to be immoral because it was believed that the meals that they shared called agape feasts or love feasts were actually orgies. Of course, they were not. They were rumored to be atheists because they did not uh, worship the Roman gods. So all of these rumors were flying around, and they were untrue, of course, but that didn't matter because they were being chipped away at a bit at a a a time. Now, how did they respond? How should they have responded to these vicious rumors, these attacks? So the Apostle Peter has some ideas for them, and, and it's really summed up perhaps in the second chapter of his letter to them, his letter to these spiritual exiles in an unbelieving culture. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, Peter says to these folks, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and give glory to God on the day of visitation. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That's verse 15. So how were the first century Christians to respond to these terrible attacks? 
And really the question would be how should we respond to similar attacks because things have not changed very much. We are still largely resented. We are still spoken ill of. It is resented when we have a voice into our culture. We, are, uh, we have people who would love to limit the influence that we have on our society. And Peter's advice to the first century Christians applies to the 21st century Christians. Keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. By the way, the day of visitation, that's not talking about the return of Christ. That phrase actually means in that moment when some people, someone discovers Jesus, comes to faith in Christ, is visited by the Holy Spirit. That's what is meant by that. In other words, what Peter is saying is if you want to leave your critics speechless and you want to bring more people into the faith of Jesus Christ, live honorable lives. The Greek philosopher Plato was once told that there was a man who was seeking to defame him in their community. His friends were concerned about this and wondered what he was going to do. And Plato responded, I will live in such a way that no one believes what he says. That's what Peter is saying here. He's saying, if you have received forgiveness from God, if you have been saved by the Lord Jesus, if you have been filled with his Holy Spirit, then you have the power to live in a new way, a way you did not live before. You have the power to live in a way that will silence your detractors, and most importantly, they will draw other people to faith in Jesus Christ. The greatest gripe of the unbelieving world against Christians is simply this, we don't walk our talk. We say one thing, And we do another. We are, as they would put it, hypocrites. And whether that's true or not, whether it's fair or not, it is the charge that is leveled against us often. But as one Christian commentator said, every Christian is an advertisement for Christianity. So what kind of an advertisement are you? With that in mind, Paul is going to launch into three scenarios of how Christians ought to live more honorable lives that will silence our critics and will draw more people into faith in him. He's going to talk about three areas. He's going to talk about the Christian as a, as a citizen, the Christian as a servant, and then the Christian as a spouse or in marriage. So this morning we're going to look at the first of those three, our witness as Christian citizens. And we pick it up in verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 2. Here's what Peter writes. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Why don't we say that last line together? Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. So, Peter says... 
be good citizens. Be good, law-abiding citizens. That's really what is summed up in the first two words in that text. Be subject. Be subject, he says, for the Lord's sake. Be subject to every human institution, including the emperor, including his governors. And presumably in our democratic republic, we have to adopt that in a new way and understanding. The word for be subject in the Greek actually is a military term. It means to place yourself in an appropriate rank. It means to order yourself under the appropriate authority of another. And so Peter says, for the sake of Jesus Christ, following the example of the one who humbled himself by leaving eternity and coming and subjecting himself, submitting himself to the authorities of his own creation unto his death, He said, we are to make ourselves subject to the politicians that God has appointed over us. So the first way, Peter says, to silence our critics is to be exemplary, respectful citizens. Wow, this is a tough season to preach this text. And it's a tough season to hear this text, I suggest. I don't recall a time in my life at least, when our nation was more divided politically. The days of bipartisanship where representatives hash it out, hammer and tong on the floor, and then go to dinner together because they are really good friends, those days seem to be all but gone. Political enemies are, in fact, exactly that, enemies. The electorate is divided along the same rancorous, bitter, partisan lines And beloved, the church is no different. I remember one of our pastors praying for our president a few years ago during worship, and they were harshly criticized later for doing so. Apparently, if our guy isn't in charge, then we don't pray for him. And we certainly don't willingly subject ourselves to his authority. But that's what Peter says. He says, for the Lord's sake... For the sake of your witness, willingly subject yourself to the authorities that God has placed over you. And just in case you think Peter was being a naive Pollyanna, may I remind you who was sitting on the throne at the time? Do you recall who was emperor at the time? Nero. Nero. Emperor Nero. Now, he wasn't the worst emperor that ever sat on the throne, but he was no friend of Christians. He scapegoated the Christians when he set fire to his own Roman capital. And then to entertain his citizenry, he would douse them with tar, tie them alive to poles, and turn them into live torches for the streets and for his gardens. So Peter's emperor was not a good man. And many of his governors were wicked as well. And yet Peter says, I want you to willingly submit yourself to their authority. So what does that look like? And what does it mean for those of us who live in a a democratic republic to obey God's word here? Let me start by telling you what I don't think it means. Here's what it's not. Being subject to the authorities over you is not blind, unthinking obedience. That is not the word that is used here. There's another word for that kind of obedience. But that's not what this word means. And perhaps even more significantly, it's not only not the word that Peter uses, it is not the way he always lived. I want to remind you of an incident in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John were preaching about the resurrected Jesus. They were arrested for preaching about Jesus. 
They were brought before the council, the religious Sanhedrin, the council, and they were ordered not to preach anymore. Here's what Peter said in response to those authorities. He says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to listen to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Now the Sanhedrin was the authority over Peter. He was subject to them and yet he did not in this instance obey. And a few years later, after Peter wrote this letter, you will recall he was crucified upside down by Nero, the very emperor of whom he speaks here. He was executed presumably because he would not stop talking about Jesus. He was executed presumably because he was not willing to worship Caesar as was required. And think back for a moment to Daniel in the Old Testament. For decades he was a loyal servant to the king of Babylon. But when he was ordered not to pray to God anymore, he chose the lion's den. And when Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were told to bow before an idol, they chose the fiery furnace instead. As a church during COVID, we have tried to be good citizens. We have tried to walk that delicate line. When we were shut down, we, we complied. We announced and followed the protocols that were established. We provided testing sites and vaccination sites. In short, we have tried to comply with the authorities. But there came a time when we could not comply. The time when we were ordered not to sing in worship. Do you remember that? It was a bridge too far. And you received a letter from your session that was signed by every elder and every pastor declaring that the very nature of worship requires us to sing and that God has commanded it and that no earthly authority can contravene what the Lord has commanded. So even though we were trying to be good citizens with that mandate, we could not comply. There are times when Christians must choose obedience to God over government. But if be subject doesn't mean obey everything at all times, then what does it mean? How are we to witness to an unbelieving world by our citizenship? Uh, Even when, and perhaps especially when, we are in disagreement with our elected leaders. I'm going to give you one thought today. I want you to leave with one idea. Whether in witnessing through your ordinarily law-abiding citizenship, or in those rare moments when you disobey out of conscience before the Lord, in every instance, here's the secret. Don't be a jerk. (laughs) However you live out your citizenship, don't be a jerk. Now, you might be wondering what the Greek word for jerk is. (laughs) And I'll admit it's not exactly stated that way in this text, but I think we can find this idea in verse 16. Peter says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. It is ironic that Peter would describe his readers as free, for they lived in a dictatorship under the authority of an emperor. And one-third of them were slaves who weren't even considered human beings. But I think... Peter had the teachings of the master ringing in his ears when Jesus said, if the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. 
through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, Peter's readers had tasted in the sweetest kind of freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from shame. Freedom from guilt. Freedom from the fear of death. Which meant that whatever this particular life held for them, even if they were slaves whose very existence depended upon the whim of their master, they were free in the most important and eternal sense of the word. And Peter says, live that way. Live as people who are free. Live free from your sin and your shame and your guilt and judgment and fear. But, he says, do not take advantage of your freedom. Don't let your freedom be a smokescreen behind which you can live unworthily. Don't think that because you have been set free from the consequences of your sin that you can live reckless, lawless, snotty, and snooty lives. In other words, I think he was saying to Christians, don't be jerks. And if that was true for the people who lived under a dictatorship, how much more is it true for us here in the land of the free? Liberty runs in our veins. We advocate freedom and protest against tyranny. We speak our minds to protect and preserve our liberties. It is the just and right responsibility of Christian citizens. But Peter would say, don't be a jerk at how you do it. You can express your deeply held Christian views. You should do so, but you don't have to be offensive in the way that you do it. But our culture has become so coarse, so mean-spirited. We tweet ugly memes. We chant disrespectful phrases. We leave no ill-considered thought unposted. And Christians, honestly, are little different. We often behave like jerks. We speak down to those who disagree with us. We employ the techniques of our culture. We cultivate dishonor and disrespect towards others, especially political others. And in doing so, we make ourselves odious to the unbelievers around us. And I will be confess I am exhibit A. I can be a jerk. I am a person of supreme confidence in my opinions. I know how things should be. I am not afraid to pillory the politicians who I don't think are leading as well. And I am often jerkish about it. How about you? What difference would it make to our witness if we Christians were courteous citizens? If only we could follow the admonition of the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the Romans in chapter 12 and said, Out do one another in showing honor. You want something to ascribe to? How about that? Outdo one another in showing honor. This is what we're going to compete in. We're not going to outdo one another in clever rhetorical uh, political arguments. We're not going to outdo one another in our snide and snarky comments. We're going to outdo one another in showing honor. And I think Peter picks up on that theme in the last line of our text. Honor everyone Love the brotherhood, fear God, and love the emperor. A very familiar cookie, the Oreo. And it's famous perhaps mostly because of the unusual way that we eat this cookie. Right? This is how we eat this cookie. You pull it apart and you scrape out the yummy stuff on the inside. But then, 
what do we do with these two less desirable outside cookie fragments? It's the stuff inside that we like. And honestly, this verse that we just read, it's the stuff inside that we like. Love the brotherhood, he says. Okay, that means love one another, love our brothers and sisters, those, love those in church around us with whom we agree on so many things, who are part of our spiritual family. Love one another. Yeah, we can do that. We love that, mostly. And then we come to the other kind of yummy morsel on the inside. Fear God. We can, we can do that, too. It's another way of saying that you're going to reverence God. You're going to love God with all that you have above everything else. You're going to obey him like no other. It is interesting. God is only the, one, the only one we're told to fear. He alone is fear. Reverence him above all others, even more than the emperor. Only God deserves our absolute awe-inspired reverence, love, and devotion. So that's the yummy frosting on the inside. We're going to fear God. And we're going to love each other. It almost sounds like the great commandment, doesn't it? Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And those two are right at the center of the cookie. They are right at the center of everything we do as Christians. But I want you to notice the two parts that that frosting holds together. First of all, honor everyone. Let's say that, honor. Honor is not the same as love. Honor is not the same as fear. But I think honor is about not being a jerk, about graciousness, about courtesy, about respect. And whom do we respect? Whom do we honor? Everyone. <clears throat> That's a big group. Everyone is a big group. Those whom we love and those whom we find it hard to love. Those with whom we agree and those with whom we disagree. Those who are believers and those who are not yet believers. Those who, vite, who vote the right way, my way, and then the others who vote the wrong way. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter who it is or how they behave or how wrong they might be. We are to honor them, everyone. We're to treat them respectfully. We are to speak well of them, even if we don't agree with them. So I want to come back to the subject of politics, which is the hot item these days. I know there are people in this congregation who vote differently than I do. Honestly, I don't get it. I don't understand how you can't see things that I see so clearly. It makes no sense to me. But because I love you, my brothers and sisters, and because I fear the same God that you fear, I choose to honor you. I, I choose to honor your right to think the way you do, which is wrong. But I choose to honor it. And I choose to honor the possibility that on occasion I might be. <laughs> wrong. <laughs> Ideally, we should respect each other when we talk about hard things like politics. And at the end of it, each of us should walk away saying, I really felt honored by that conversation. 
But how often does that happen? Even among Christians, how often does it happen? It's a shame that we can't have conversations like these in our life groups, that we cannot grapple with the really complex issues that we face in our culture, surrounded by a circle of brothers and sisters who love God's Word. But I know life group leaders who have declared their groups to be no politics zones. Why? Because we end up acting like jerks. We end up disrespecting each other. We end up saying at the end of those conversations, I felt dishonored. Even if you win the argument, you end up losing the relationship. And how much worse if unbelievers are so turned off by your jerkness that they have no interest at all in the Jesus that you claim to follow. So, Peter says, honor everyone. That's the one less than desirable cookie. And then love your brotherhood, fear God, and then on the other side, perhaps the hardest of all, love the emperor. Honor. Sorry, thank you. Honor. (laughs) Thank you, my wife. (laughs) Honor your spouse. Even when he's a bad guy, even if I didn't vote for him, even if I don't think his policies are good, honor him? Yes. Speak respectfully of him? Yes. Pray for him? Yes. 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 You may disagree. That's okay. You may either, even at times, feel that you must disobey in allegiance, in obedience to God. But never disrespect. Never dishonor. Never be a jerk. Honor the emperor. That's the other outside dry part of this cookie. So honor everyone. Honor the emperor. They may not seem that palatable to us, but if we keep the center the center, if we fear God above all, uh, all else, if we love each other, it gives us the grounding and the courage and the humility to do this harder thing. So eat the whole dang cookie. And remember, see, it's too dry. That's the problem. (laughs) I need milk. (laughs) And I want you to remember, why are we doing this? We are doing this because by our submission, by our good citizenship, by our honorable and respectful way that we treat everyone, especially our opponents, we silence our critics... And we draw more and more people to Jesus. And that is, is that not our bottom line? Even as citizens of the United States, that we would live in such a way that we draw everyone to be citizens of God's eternal kingdom. That is far more important, and that is why we honor everyone. Last week, we had a wonderful image, I think, of what it looks like to honor our human institutions. You recall I invited our guardian Sergeant Trey, to come up here at the end of the service to celebrate his service to us and to celebrate the promotion that he had. But I was surprised at how impactful that was to so many people. I, it went, the picture of, of Trey and me embracing, it went viral. 
And I was hearing from people all over the place about this. It was a time when our first responders, who were often being treated with dishonor, we were honoring them. And it was apparently captivating for many in our community and around the world. So I'm glad we did that. Here's the funny part of the story, though. When I hugged Trey, I set off his body cam. And so when he turned with me to pronounce the benediction over the people, Trey recorded a room full of people raising their hands. <laughs> it looked like he was arresting the entire congregation. <clears throat> but in a sense, isn't that what we, exactly what we hope will happen? by our willing subjection to our authority, by our good citizenship, by our honoring of those in authority over us. Don't we want our community to be arrested by that? To be captivated by that? This unexpectedly gracious experience. Don't we want them to join us in raising our hands in surrender to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? To be welcomed as citizens into the kingdom of God. So you want to be a good citizen, as Peter enjoins us to be? You want to silence your critics and draw more and more people to love and to know Jesus? Then honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor, and finally, don't be a jerk. Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we cannot do this in our own strength. We are so... Uh, we have a default setting that immediately goes to, to victory. We want to win. We want to win the argument. We want to persuade people to our side. And, and sometimes we're not very kind in the way we do it. Would you change our hearts by your spirit? Would you remind us that Jesus, when you were here, you didn't make that many statements. More often you would ask questions of your opponents. Give us the hearts that allow us to be to, to lose an argument in order that we might win a soul for your sake we pray it Amen located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, King Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org. Oh,